Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Today's episode is a discussion that has been a long time coming. Several episodes ago uh, on a now infamous episode of the show, A Bloody Mattress in Oakland, uh, we discovered that everyone who was on the show that day, and it was a lot of people, uh, I was there, Eming was there, Charlie, maybe Shirley, I think Silvano, a lot, a lot of people. All of whom at one time lived in San Francisco and now do not live in San Francisco anymore. And for the most part, uh, there are people who left because it's too expensive to live there. So, uh, you know, this is something that we started when we started the Brokenomics vertical, uh, talking about why it's so difficult to be a young person and earn a living. Uh, the original title for that was The Rent is Too Damn High which was an homage, of course, to a man who ran for governor of New York a few years ago on that platform. But, you know, we knew that we wanted to have a conversation about the cost of living, displacement, um, and all the subsequent conversations that come along with that. Now uh, we're starting a new feature on the site called Bay Refugees. Uh, It's a video series featuring people who are from... Uh, cities in the Bay Area, San Francisco, Oakland, uh, other places throughout the Bay Area who have been priced out uh, and now live somewhere else. Um, some because they have to, some because they made a decision to, uh, and a lot of you know compelling narratives are emerging from that. Uh, but I just thought it would be helpful for us today, maybe even as a, uh, a, a more traditional editorial meeting to brainstorm a little bit about what this vertical could look like, what these, this video series could look like, just have a conversation about all the different intersecting issues that contribute to the rise in rents, uh, what's happening in the Bay Area. Of course, obviously, this is a technocracy story because the growth of that of the tech industry in the Bay Area is what's driven this. So although the tech industry has driven the rise in rents in San Francisco, Francisco, most big cities in the country have gone this way as cities have become more desirable places to live. They're more expensive to live. And there are a lot of um, consequences, economic consequences, uh, one of which is that overwhelmingly populations in suburban areas, um, that's kind of their higher concentrations of people who are living in poverty in suburban areas. So there's a lot to talk about. Like I said, this is really just kind of an initial pass at the issue. I like the idea of using the San Francisco Bay Area as um, the place to start this because we all have ties to the San Francisco Bay Area, but this is true in big cities uh, across the country. So Charlie, uh, first of all, let me welcome everybody. Charles is here. Uh, Melanie Feliciano is joining us. Uh, and with us, as always, our fearless producer, Eming Piancai. So, Charlie, I'm glad you could be here, uh, partly because I remember a piece of writing from you years ago, so long ago that it appeared in uh, Youth Outlook magazine about the neighborhood where you grew up, Hunter's Point, uh, and how it changed from when you were a child. You no longer live in the neighborhood in the city where you grew up, but you are still in the Bay Area. You're in Oakland. Um, Give us a, a, a sense of what... Uh, the decisions have been for you as a father, a person with a family and a partner about where to live and the cost of living in the Bay Area. You know, you can go as far back as you want. I'm sure this conversation goes back to, you know, when you first had to figure out where you wanted to live when you were a young person. Uh, what, what has that 
saga been like for you? Well, it's strange. Actually, thinking about it, I realized that not living in San Francisco had nothing to do with anything, with any decision that I made. Right. So if you didn't make the decision, who made the decision? Like, on one hand, part of the people who made the decisions were uh, the people who were older than me, who were helping me search for my first apartment and who had kind of decided for themselves that I couldn't afford to live in San Francisco. So they didn't even look there. Um, and what era are we talking about? Because most of us actually survived 19, two. Yeah. 1997. Yeah. So we've survived two tech booms. 97, I guess, was very, very early on in that. But I was kind of like looking for my own place to live for the first time around 98, 99, which was right in the middle of that same first tech bubble, which made San Francisco uh, so prohibitively expensive. I want to say April or May of uh, 1997 when I got my first apartment. It was a one-bedroom in North Oakland um, for $4.95 a month. It's great. That would make a lot of people... Actually, when I got it, it was $4.78 a month. And then uh, after about a year, two years there, um, the rent went up like 25 bucks or whatever. Right. Have you been in Oakland ever since? Uh, back and forth. Yeah. I lived uh, in Oakland originally. I stayed at the same place in North Oakland from 97 to the end of 99, like uh, December of 99, and then lived in San Francisco from 2000 to 2003. Yeah. But um, my first two years in San Francisco was basically functionally homeless, uh, lived in motel rooms, um, you know, lived with family, that type of thing. Yeah. And you've been a part of this conversation since we've tried to develop the idea because you were one of the first people to talk about where people were going to live. People who got priced out of San Francisco, people who got priced out of Oakland. Um, it seems like, you know, we'll, kind of get numbers to substantiate this, there's a trend of people moving further and further out uh, in the Bay Area because that's what's affordable to places like Hercules, Tracy, Moraga, places like that. Can you can you talk a little bit about trends maybe that you've observed among people that you know from neighborhoods in San Francisco and Oakland leaving the city and where they're going? Well, honestly, uh, early on, at least for people from my neighborhood, like it was a trend to leave San Francisco when it came time to move out and like uh, get your first apartment or, you know, strike out on your own in the world. Uh, less about finances, more about just like getting out of the city. A lot of black people, especially from my area of the city, felt as though you couldn't really flourish there. Like it was too much uh, about San Francisco actively holding black San Franciscans back. And so uh, a lot of people moved to Oakland. A lot of people moved to Stockton, Sacramento, places where you don't really look at them as having so much more opportunity than San Francisco. But uh, it was more opportunity for them just based on their blackness. Um, like I said, my, my decisions to leave San Francisco was never my own. So the first time it was the older people who were, uh, you know, not even looking in San Francisco for apartments when they were uh, 
you know, doing apartment searches with me. And so uh, the second time was in 2003 um, when we moved back to Oakland. Before we moved back to Oakland, we had found an apartment in the Mission District uh, that we were going to rent. Actually, before the, the apartment, uh, we were living in a condo in what's known as uh, Marina Village. It's spelled Mariner's Village, but for some reason, the Negroes of Hunters Point, we call it Marina Village. And so we were staying in a condo in Marina Village, and uh, the owner was ready to sell, but wouldn't sell it to us. We could afford it at the time. Uh, we would only been paying a little bit over $1,000 a month for a mortgage. So like we had really went and like figured all this out. And so um, we offered to buy it and she wouldn't sell it to us because um, we're not Filipino. They had they the little block of condos that I was staying in. It was like a strip of four or five condos was all owned by Filipinos. Uh, they went in on them together and made an agreement that when they sold, they would sell to another Filipino. So I couldn't be upset. I couldn't be angry. Like, this is how communities grow. This is how communities, like, start to flourish. So I couldn't be upset with them for for, for that. You know what I'm saying? When we were looking for an apartment after that, uh, we found an apartment in the Mission District. Money was exchanged. Key was exchanged. And when my wife called to tell me that we had got the apartment, she happened to put me on speakerphone. And when the guy who owned the building heard I was black, he then refused to rent to her. And um, that's what year was that? You said that was 2003 when you yes. were looking at a yes. place in the mission. Yeah. And yeah. So, I mean, it, I think it would be surprising for people to hear, uh, you know, 15 plus years later um, that the mission district was a place that young people could even look for apartments to begin with. You know, <laughs> it's now right. It's be- become a place now that is so prohibitively expensive that it's just it's it's got to be off of people's lists. It's the most desirable place to live in the city, uh, which is strange for people who grew up there because up there, right. that yeah. was not it's, the case. It's, the, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a weird live-in tourist trap now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well said well said melanie let me uh part of the reason you wanted to be in on this conversation was uh because of work you did uh as a journalist when you were in miami right is, is some of this stuff lining up can you talk a little bit about what you did uh as it relates to housing in in miami well, i actually wanted to respond a little bit to what um Charlie oh was yeah saying, yeah because you know 1999 is when I arrived to San Francisco for my first tech job or actually my second tech job. And so I was one of the assholes that was jacking up the rents there. I moved to a place called South Beach Marina Apartments. So when he was talking about the marina place, I was like, oh, shit, (laughs) that I don't think it was the same place, but it was built right by the new baseball stadium. I actually qualified for a low income housing. My starting salary at my my fancy tech job was thirty five thousand dollars a year. And so I was actually moving in with my boyfriend at the time and we were living large. We had a pool um, and we had a balcony. Um, it was, it was nice. Like I could walk to work 
Um, I walked like two blocks and then we all got laid off a year later. <laughs> so, so yeah. And I think that that, what you were talking about, the two, the two cycles of the booms and the busts, you know, we're, we're now, I guess what, this must be the third, right? The third. Yeah. Bubble. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it just, it just keeps getting worse. It's like this influx and then, you know, everybody gets laid off and then I decided to stay and that's how I met you guys. And, and then I started actually learning about San Francisco at that point. And that's what I think is so annoying about the tech people. Then when they come in, they're not integrating with the community that's already there and they live in these little bubbles. And, you know, I, I was working probably like 14, 15 hours a day, just sitting at a computer. So it wasn't until we got laid off that, that I actually started to understand what San Francisco was about. So after, after I left Yo, I moved to Miami to be closer to the family and they were actually going through their own little boom boom era, um, which was being fueled by Art Basel, which we talked about a few podcasts ago. Um, and it was like a lot of real estate stuff happening, um, centering around the art scene. So it wasn't so much like the tech there, but the communities that I was covering were actually the Puerto Rican community. Um, it was all Puerto Ricans in Wynwood before Goldman came along. And he was like the real estate developer that's basically taking credit for all the Wynwood walls that Shepard Ferry, you know, um, put his name on over there. Um, and yeah, we ended up, I was editor of a community newspaper there and I ended up becoming a, a, a producer for a documentary um, called Boomtown that was interviewing politicians, artists, poets, um, you know, people who were homeless or um, just all the different types of characters that were being influenced or affected by this huge boom um, that started with the real estate, um, you know, like when everybody was buying, right? And then everybody, and then everything tanked in 2008. But we we have footage um, over a course of 10 years um, between 2003 and 2000. Well, actually, it was 2002 to 2012. We just shot footage and through seven characters, we told the story of how Miami changed during that period. Um, and then also showed how the skyline changed along with them. Um, it's a really cool piece that, um, that has not been finished yet, but, but I really feel that Miami is a great, it, it's just showing what's happening in basically every city. Like I'm in DC right now. And it's, it's the same fucking story. Like I just, I counted walking around my friend's neighborhood here. There were five of those, um, what are they called? <laughs> the cranes. They had five cranes that just like within a four block radius yeah. of all this new housing. And, and this is a traditionally black neighborhood that I'm in right now. And when, once you walk a little bit further, there's, you know, there's the baseball stadium and there's just all this brand new shit 
it's like they've rebuilt the whole city and there's a, it's the same kind of thing. There's, you've got refugees here as well, just going to the outskirts into Maryland and um, Virginia and uh, this area called Anacostia and you're in New York. So obviously you're seeing it there as well. So these are just examples. And I think it's also happening worldwide. Um, when I was in Rio um, there were definitely neighborhoods that, you know, you could walk into the favelas and you can see the gentrification even happening in favelas there too. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting. I mean, you mentioned the idea of it being like kind of a global phenomenon. The first time I saw or heard of a model like this with, you know, wealthy people living in a city and, poor people and a working class living in suburbs outside of the city was when uh, Josue and Bramani and I uh, went to Paris after a series of youth riots in 2005. They were all young people who lived in the banlieue, which are the suburbs outside of Paris. And when we started to interview and talk to people, they explained that that's been the structure of that city for a long time. And in fact, that's true of most European cities. Um, you know, the professional classes and the creative classes and, you know, all the way up to the aristocrats are people who live in the city centers uh, and the working class people. And overwhelmingly, at least in Paris, you know, immigrants or people who are originally from North Africa or sub-Saharan Africa or the Middle East uh, are people who live on the outskirts. Uh, and so when I first started to hear about this inversion, I mean, a lot of this, I mean, let's, you can trace this back a long ways, but even, you know, it's like my dad used to live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and it's not a desirable or cool place to live at all, but he got really excited. He's like, Oh, they're doing this stuff down on the river. They're putting, there's going to be a brewery there. And you know what I mean? They're cleaning up the parks. Like every, uh, you know, it, it, Milwaukee is one of those old industrial cities and they want to take this industrial area and, and, and take it from blight into something nice and make it a place that young people wanted to live. Uh, I don't know that the eventual, eventual consequence in Milwaukee was that people were necessarily displaced, but, you know, cities have become a cool place to live again. And that's uh, that's a reverse. Right. And that's without like laying blame at anyone's feet. Like there's something wrong with people for working in the tech industry or being a part of a creative class or trying to find a place to live. Um, it's just kind of a natural phenomenon. And, but in a place like San Francisco, where you do have those industries where people can get paid a lot of money for those kind of jobs, you do have displacement and you have severe demographic change. Uh, and then you have growth of areas that don't have, you know, access to um, public transportation. Like a lot of the cities I was talking to Charlie about, like places like Tracy and Hercules and way off the bar line. No connection to even, you know, like the kind of social services you would have in a city or um, or public transit to get access to cultural services. Um, so anyway, I mean, I only mentioned that because you mentioned this as an international model. Uh, and I, we could talk about, you know, the G word is in the air, right? It's like everybody knows what gentrification is until you ask them to define it. Uh, but there are like levels of gentrification, right? There are like groups of people who are just like young broke people who can afford to live in certain neighborhoods and not other neighborhoods that kind of pave the way for other groups to come after them. It's a really loaded and complicated issue. I just, uh, I'm, I'm interested, uh, about 
people's individual experiences. I guess that's a lot more interesting than the social science uh, or kind of the political perspectives. Uh, Charlie, do you want to tell us a little bit about Taruko and how you came to, to know Taruko? She's the subject of our first episode of the Bay Refugees series. Uh, and I got to know her a little bit, so I can talk a little bit about her. But you've known her for a while, so can you tell us a little bit about Taruko uh, Dobashi? Well, I don't and- really know her like that. Uh, through completely different circumstances, started working with my wife. Right. And um, through that relationship, figured out that I was my wife's husband. And so we uh, had a roundabout connection in that way. Um, she is a lot like many other young people from Hunter's Point, mostly young women. I got to say mostly young black women. Opportunity is kind of what carried her out of the city. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, eight times out of 10 with the young black women I know who have left the city is either opportunist or complete like thereof. Uh, the only people I know who really want to leave San Francisco are people who don't see uh, any long-term success for themselves there or people who, uh, who people who, um, are only who are trying to, you know, find a way to uh, claw their way to the top of San Francisco, but opportunity uh, carries them elsewhere. And so, of, uh, what was you saying? I was just in uh, part of the reason I like Taruko as a subject uh, is for the reasons you're listing. Like her story does not kind of fit our traditional narrative about like, oh, I left because it was too expensive, and now I'm you know living somewhere else. As you said, she left for opportunity, right? Yeah, my, and, my sister, and, my, my sister left for college and never came back. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, like, um, with a lot of folks, I think um, that also has a large part to play in how how much you want to come back. Like, if you go to another city and you find uh, a modicum of success or happiness, like San Francisco, becomes this. Uh, you get a bad taste. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you're the type of person that goes back, visits family. Uh, Many of the people still in San Francisco haven't advanced much financially, educationally. But like Taruko even spoke on that. You know what I'm saying? How like she can feel a level of guilt coming back because people Mm -hmm. are stuck in same positions or in worse ones than when she left. And um, yeah, another part of her story, too, is that she got out because she had an opportunity. She talked a lot about just some of the violence that she experienced when she was growing up in Hunter's Point and and feeling like she was escaping some of that. Uh, But once she went and got a degree, uh, she wanted to come back to San Francisco and kind of like serve her community. Right. Like kind of like use the skills and resources um, and her resume uh, to help the place where she came from, but it's not possible for her, right? Like her goal was like, let me leave, go to school, learn, and then maybe I can come back and help people out where I came from. Uh, but it was on the return that she learned. It wasn't realistic for her to live in San Francisco because it just it, what didn't make sense. She lives in Atlanta and from, you know, obviously once this video goes up on the site, everyone can hear Taruko's story, but you know, she's happy there and she has a lot of opportunities. She's working as an educator. Um, 
but there is like a, a suspicion. And I, this is true for me and a lot of other people who left for opportunity, maybe and not for necessarily person, getting priced out. And as a black person, she also spoke on just like Atlanta being a much more uh, hopeful place and a much more um, um, forward place. You know what I'm saying? People, there's, there's, there's a spirit of um, progression in Atlanta amongst black people that you don't see in San Francisco because it's by and large been beaten out of folks. I think, I think the difference with black San Franciscans and a lot of other people is that black San Franciscans don't have kind of the illusion of um, financial independence um, to to uh, kind of look at and uh, as an idea to hold high, because there were black people that owned properties in the Fillmore during Reconstruction. You know what I'm saying? Uh, who pe- people like my parents' generation, who you know were in Fillmore when it was uh, or post Harlem of the West, but pre Reconstruction. And people who own properties and people who the city just like bumped them a quarter and forced them to go live in the Bayview, that, which was literally at the time still like a Wild West area. Like there were still saloons and stuff outside when these people touched down uh, in Bayview Hunters Point. A lot of people don't realize just like how little uh, there was on that side of the city when black people was cast over there. You know what I'm saying? So, um, Black people in San Francisco have a very uh, long and uh, depressing relationship, which a lot of people like just a a lot of the newer generation of folks is just choosing to opt out because you go through so much to stay there and you get so little from the city. Right. It's an important point. I want to encourage everyone um, to go on the site Taruko's uh, story will be up there. It's the first episode in our Bay Refugees series. I'm glad that we started with her for all of these reasons, right? She like upends these narratives in a lot of ways um, and has a, a really pretty stunning level of insight, uh, particularly about the community where she's from, uh, Hunters Point in San Francisco. And also, you know, uh, I think her experience really speaks to uh, how broad um, the experiences of people who are no longer there can be, right? It's not just one story. Uh, so I want to encourage people to go on the site and check that out. We're working on future episodes now, uh, which we're trying to coordinate. Obviously, uh, we'll be having future conversations on the show about that as well. But I want to thank you guys for coming on today just so we can start this conversation. I'd, I'd like for this maybe to be a regular feature since it will be a regular feature on the site uh, as a video. I was hoping Anne would be here tonight, actually, because she shot uh, and is editing some of it. She wasn't able to make it because she's doing Street Soldiers tonight, which is fine. That's all right. It's the street soldiers is not a direct competitor. <laughs> uh, she's been with them for a long time. Uh, obviously street soldiers does a lot of great work. Uh, but Anne is, uh, working on pilot version of that show. And she has a lot of similar stories to tell. She was on the episode that we had about the bloody mattress in Oakland and talked about how Vallejo's changed, right? Like, uh, Anne and her family moved to Vallejo some time ago. That's one of those communities that are kind of getting a lot richer in a lot of ways. And I don't mean rich in terms of wealth. I mean, rich culturally because people from all over the Bay are moving there because it's affordable. So we'll get other people on the show, but I want to thank, uh, both of you, Charlie 
and Melanie for being here today, kind of start this conversation. Uh, I'm sure we'll be revisiting it um, several times on future episodes. And again, please, please, please check out our pilot episode of uh, the Big Refugee Show. Thanks to you, Charlie. Thanks to you, Melanie. Thanks to you, as always, Eming, uh, and to our listeners. Until next time, quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest On Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.